Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Lexus Enthusiast podcast. My name is Kevin Watts, and I'm the founder and editor of the Lexus Enthusiast website. And today I'm joined by Denny Clements, the general manager of Lexus USA from the years 2000 to 2005. Thank you for joining us, Denny. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank, thank you, Kevin. So you've overseen a lot of the most important moments in Lexus history. You know, the launch of the first Lexus hybrid, the LFNS design language, even the initial development of the LFA. But I just wanted to begin with the, the basics. Uh, how did you get started in the automotive industry? Well, Kevin, I uh, actually, uh, uh, Vietnam was going on. I was uh, uh, growing up in Buffalo, New York, and uh, was actually intending to uh, uh was accepted to the University of Arizona Graduate School, and I had to go on active duty, and so I missed the first semester and the start of the second semester, and one of my part-time jobs in college was working for a bank called Manufacturers and Traders Trust Company, where we actually you know, called on dealers and did floor plan checks and what have you, and got to know the four dealers very well, and I was just kind of back from active duty, and and one of the dealers mentioned, "Hey, Ford is hiring." So I got in the car business. It was really uh, fortuitous, but it was, um, you know, actually uh, not not a planned event. And and had a career at Ford. Um, uh, worked in Buffalo, then went to Detroit uh, with Lincoln Mercury. Was the first uh, Ford uh, employee that was uh, transferred to Lincoln Mercury. Uh, spent some time in Detroit, both in uh, national headquarters and in their uh, central region office, and then went to Los Angeles as the assistant regional manager for Lincoln Mercury, which encompassed Hawaii, Arizona, Nevada, and Southern California. And so <clears throat> I was there um, you know, during the energy crisis, um, uh, the second energy crisis, um, in the late 70s, um, and the Lincoln Mercury business really was very, very tough business, and stayed there um, till 1983 when uh, uh, several good friends of mine had left Ford and joined Toyota, and so I, I also joined Toyota in 1983, and then a short time later, I was transferred to Denver as the assistant general manager of the Denver region, and then became the general manager, and then from there, I became the general manager in the New York region, and then I became the national sales manager for Toyota, and then uh, in a developmental move, um, a non-sales and marketing uh, job, I became the uh, vice president of logistics for Toyota, which involved um, ships, planes, trains, <laughs> manufacturing facilities, and there, and from there, I became the president of a private distributorship that Toyota purchased called Central Atlantic Toyota, okay. which is located in Baltimore, and I was president of that subsidiary company for nine years, and we had our own port, our own parts step, our own P&L statement, and that was, uh, that was quite a learning experience for me, and I was very fortunate to have, have had that experience. And then in uh, 2000, uh, I was asked to come and uh, lead Lexus, and uh, which I did until I retired in uh, in late 2005. So that's kind of a resume. Yeah, I would tell you though what I tell my friends in all this is that uh, when I left Lincoln Mercury to join Toyota, I became smarter. 
And then when I left Toyota to, to lead Lexus, I became a genius. <laughs> Something about great product. Uh, so I always had that humility. I had many of these same ideas at Lincoln, and they, it didn't work. So I always understood that the great success at Toyota and then at Lexus was really the result of many, many people and great product. And, you know, the Japanese have a saying that when you enjoy the cool water from the well, you should always remember those who dug it. So I always had a keen appreciation of the predecessors and the benefit that accrued to me from from all their, their good work. It's, a, it's an amazing company, an amazing story. So prior to you taking over as general manager, uh, Lexus was going through a bit of an identity crisis. and The competitors had adapted. Uh, it seemed like the brand was maybe struggling to find out and figure out what was coming next. Uh, what was your primary focus when you first took over? Well, I, th- I think you've got to look at that in context. I, I don't know if I would say struggling. I would say that, you know, the brand was launched in 1989 and to great success. And then in the, in the mid-'90s, um, you know, the, the luxury market kind of languished and uh, Lexus sales actually, you know, had declined. And, you know, Borth, you know, the, my predecessors, uh, Illingworth and, and George Borst and Jim Press and Brian Burstenson had all made major contributions uh, during that period of time. And, of course, the the RX 300 had been launched and, you know, it was a phenomenal success, really created that this segment now that, you know, 16 years later is, uh, you know, the hottest segment in the business. It really started with the Lexus RX. So, I mean, there was a, but it was definitely, um, there were issues that were being worked on when I joined. Uh, so when I came on board, you know, we had the launch of the uh, the SC, which was a phenomenal car, and then the LS400. And so these cars had, had been in planning, you know, in, in before I came on board. But what I had, I had a vivid memory of two things when I, it was actually the first week I was there. The, the first thing is I, I, I was there, I joined in, in early July, I think it was, of 2000. And coming from Toyota, uh, you know, we, we had a sales event every month and it was to generate a lot of showroom traffic. We had great product, but we generated a lot of showroom traffic and did a lot of price advertising and had a lot of incentives. So the first day I'm at Lexus, you know, the first question I asked of, you know, what do we have going on? You know, what what's what's going on? And everybody looked at me and they they said nothing. And <laughs> I mean, it's just scared. It really scared me. Um, and then I realized, boy, this is really different. And I, I can remember saying, you mean people actually have to show up and want to buy our cars without, you know, advertising in incentives? And that was what was going on. It was because of the phenomenal job that our dealers had done, you know, in terms of taking care of the customer and owner loyalty and the and the great product. Uh, but the product, the product was segmented. I mean, the cars, um, there was no design language. They were all, uh, you know, really good cars in the segments that they competed in. But, you know, when you talk to the auto writers and the journalists, it was clear that um, there were issues with the brand. And, you know, that same week, uh, there was a, um, a, a study presentation made by, a, um, you know, one of these companies that do these kind of brand analysis. And it showed that Lexus' image was similar to Volvo. I mean, we were right there with Volvo and and nowhere near the Germans. And, you know, in 1999, Lincoln was the best-selling luxury brand, hard to believe, but it was. You know, when you even talk to our salespeople, our dealers, you know, if you if you say, well, Mercedes is luxury and BMW is performance, what is Lexus? And we would get 25 answers. Mm-hmm. And so 
it was clear that even though uh, I was the beneficiary of tremendous work on, on the part of my benefit, uh, my predecessors uh, in terms of, you know, the dealer experience and, you know, maintaining that relationship with the dealers and product planning. And we, we still, um, you know, had, had to take all that good work and, and figure out, you know, how to, how to really capitalize on this winning hand. And so that was really, um, you know, the first thing that I began to really begin to think about was, you know, how products great, the dealers are great, uh, people love our cars, but our image really trailed reality of who we were. So you spoke a little bit about, you know, uh, fortuitous, being fortuitous in, in in your position and everything like that. And it, it's this really brings up that idea is in your first year, uh, Lexus ended up finishing at the top of the U.S. luxury market for the first time. And I would imagine that the RX was a, was a large component of that. Uh, can you talk us through what it was like to, to finally kind of be on the top of the heap? You know, I mean, the, the focus on Lexus really, you know, throughout my whole tenure and throughout its history has been where we rank. Well, I mean, that that's a result of taking care of the customer. Mm-hmm. That really who we were was, was about the whole experience of, of buying and owning a car. And I can remember that vividly. Um, we knew it was close. You know, we had a de- December to remember. And it, when it all, when the dust all settled, we had a terrific, terrific December. And I believe we beat Mercedes. I, I want to say, Kevin, it was 220 vehicles. <laughs> and it was the first time, you know, since, you know, at the very beginning uh, that we were the number one luxury nameplate. And it's a, uh, you know, we, we maintained that position really uh, right through the uh, tsunami and all the, you know, all the disasters and catastrophes that happened in Japan. We maintain that position, and and we were proud of that. But it really, you know, each year as we began to strategize, it was really the focus was really more on how do we enhance the customer experience, and how do we advance the brand in terms of image. It's funny that you say that because um, in my conversations with Mark uh, Mark Templin, I always say, well, how do you feel about the position? He said, well, that was never where we stand in the market is important, but it's never our primary goal. And I just find it very interesting to hear that, uh, hear you saying the same thing. Yes. Well, you know, Mark was on my team uh, during this period of time, so I'm real proud of him and, and he's, he's, he's done a terrific job. You mentioned this, but the, one of the key changes for Lexus during your time was uh, successfully repositioning the brand to be a, a true German luxury competitor. Can you kind of talk us through that transformation? That was a multi-year, I want to say um, almost a four-year effort that we called the brand initiative. You know, the first thing we did was we went out and, and really sat down, uh, my key people, we sat down with all, I think at the time there was 200 Lexus dealers, so maybe you know maybe 180 dealer principals. We sat down with, with every one of them and began to develop a clear idea of current reality. And, you know, current reality was that pretty much what the auto journalists were telling us is that, you know, great car, great experience, fuzzy image, uh, every car looked different. Um, they were derivative from, from Toyota in many cases, but the customers loved the experience. So out of that, we began to think about, you know, how, what is Lexus? If BMW's performance and, and Volvo's safety and, you know, Mercedes is luxury, what? What is the DNA of Lexus? And we really went back to Dave Illingworth and, and the Lexus Covenant, and, and, and really we began to, to evolve around the principle that 
you know, there, there's plenty of disposable income, but there's not disposable time. That nobody, uh, no matter how affluent you are, how successful you are, uh, nobody feels like they've got, you know, a whole bunch of extra time. And so we began to evolve around this idea that owning a Lexus is the experience and it's the, it's the value of the time and it's the whole experience of the car and the driving and the dealership, you know, interactions that happen and, you know, the service. And, and so that began to evolve. And then we, we at the same time, we uh, developed a relationship with Gallup. And Gallup uh, has a really unique uh, and, and statistically uh, incredibly accurate uh, measure of, you know, how do you develop associate engagement and then how do you get uh, customer engagement. Hmm. And so because my, my going in uh, attitude, uh, Kevin, during this period of time is that, you know, customer satisfaction will really get you nothing because everybody was talking about J.D. Power and, yeah, and everybody was measuring satisfaction, and, and the reality was it was becoming commoditized, uh, where you really had to take the experience level to the next level. And the founders of Lexus in, in the beginning, I mean, that, that was really founded upon that. It really changed the, the whole paradigm of, you know, purchasing a car and, you know, what happens with the service experience and customer loaners and, you know, pioneers like Dave Illingworth and Dick Chitty really... Um, you know, their contributions were really biblical to changing the whole industry and, and what was expected, not only from luxury car dealers, but really from all dealers. And so Gallup made a presentation, and they have this, I don't, I don't want to go too deep in the weeds with you, but I just bear with me a minute. Of course, yeah. They had a, a questionnaire, and it's called Q12, and it's 12 questions that measure associate engagement, whether it's at you know, headquarters or the individual dealers. <clears throat> and these 12 questions, none of which had anything to do with compensation. They were questions like, I have the tools and equipment I need to be successful. Uh, somebody has recognized my work in the last you know, seven days. I have a best friend at work. And there was 12 questions like, like this. Mm-hmm. And Gallup had shown us through you know, their work with banks and whatever <clears throat> that the higher you scored on these, these questions, the higher customer loyalty uh, went, which they call customer engagement. And this was a huge, huge effort to get this, to get buy-in and get this launched. But, and then what we really liked about it and what we proved to the dealers is that not only were these questions a great measure, but in fact you could change them. Uh, you could go to the work group and say, look, at our goal is to make this a better place to work. And we're going to come back in six months and, and measure you on these 12 questions. And, and what we found out is, uh, Kevin, that people don't work for dealerships or they don't work for Lexus. They work for managers, mm-hmm. and and those managers has a huge impact on how engaged the customer is or how engaged the employee is, and and that gets you you know what I used to call discretionary effort, and so discretionary effort is you know how do you act when the boss isn't around? Do you treat the business as as, as if that you owned it? I mean, do you really care when you go to work? And it turns out that managers really drive that that you could spend all the money you could you know, do all the brand work and you could have great cars and you could have, you know, the very successful dealers and beautiful facilities. But if the manager, you know, didn't, didn't care about his people or, you know, wasn't really wasn't invested in their success, uh, it really affected, you know, how the associates felt about work and their level of discretionary effort toward the success of their department or that dealership or, or the company. 
So we had multiple meetings, and we had regional seminars, and we brought in all kinds of brand experts, and we did all kinds of really, really innovative things with AMCI and all kinds of vendors, and Merits was a huge partner in this whole effort. During this period of time, that's when we began to develop you know, some identity that, that Lexus was really about the experience of, of owning a luxury car and this culture. So when we measured, the, and these are the 200, you know, in the beginning we picked the best dealers in the industry, and, and we measured, we did this Gallup survey, and we went out and we did all these, all these work groups and measured them. It's a huge, huge initiative. Uh, I, I can't remember how many tens of thousands of employees. But anyway, even within our uh, industry-leading uh, dealership experience, there was a tremendous correlation between the dealers that scored the highest on these 12 questions and the success of the dealership in terms of owner retention, in terms of uh, profitability. It was amazing to me, the difference. And, and it, was, it was, I mean, it correlated so strong. And then we began to look at the dealers that had the highest scores on the Q12 we began to measure, Gallup has another uh, survey called customer engagement, and we, uh, we did some pilots, and we began to ask questions like, I can't imagine a world without Lexus of Albuquerque, say. And, and we had customers, you know, on a scale of one to five, you know, putting four and a half and five, can't imagine a world without the dealership. Hmm. And, and that really blew me away, that you could impact and get those kind of loyalty scores with a, developing a culture that had nothing to do with compensation. It had nothing to do with compensation. So we really, um, you know, drove that. And then at the same time, and the reason that I think one of the reasons that the Lexus dealers were so loyal to the company was for the same reason. I mean, you know, we were in the win-win relationships. You know, the dealers felt that we were different from every other manufacturer. Toyota is as well, but Lexus, because it was a smaller, more intimate group, it took it to the next level. And so the dealers, I mean, the, the, the dealer satisfaction scores we were getting on J.D. Power, and, I mean, they were off the chart. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we, we did not ever do anything as a, you know, as a company that wasn't revolve, didn't revolve around the success of our retail partners. We realized that for us to be successful, our dealers had to be successful. And because of that, and it wasn't just you know a mission statement on the wall. We really acted that way. Uh, if you you know if you weren't that way, you know you really you, you wouldn't be successful with us. So you had to really you know, first and foremost you know be there to help the dealer be more successful. And so um, out of that, we had a tremendous increase in capital expenditure and new facilities, and you know dealers building you know forty, thirty, forty million dollar facilities. It was unbelievable, Kevin. I mean, we had. And it was spectacular. The dealers would tell us, "Hey, we'll do this for you." We, you know, we'd be very reluctant to do it for anybody else. It was the same principle that Gallup was talking about. That, you know, if you treated your partners or your associates uh, with respect and dignity, and you developed a level of trust, uh, they would run through the wall for you. So we really began to develop this whole brand initiative, and at the same time, you know, obviously product drives everything. So at the same time. You know, working with our product planning people and people in Japan, you know, and, ba- and, and really working off the success of the, the LS400, which was introduced in, in 2000 as a 2001 car, which really, once again, changed the definition of a high-end luxury car um, in terms of technology and ride and features and 
we we began to look at okay, what do we need to do while we're working on the dealership experience and the brand language? You know, what do we need to do on the product side? And so, out of that, you know, came this uh, uh, L S language, and we began to think about you know five and ten years down the road, uh, developing a common you know look to Lexus, a, a language that would uh, you know capture the uh, the whole you know, luxury experience that the customers loved. And so, so, so that was going out concurrently. And then at the same time, in terms of, of marketing, and we had a great uh, uh, retail partner in Team One Advertising, and we developed a, uh, an idea for all our commercials and all our advertising is that every car had to have a one-word equity. If LS, the one-word equity, uh, as I remember, was pinnacle. So each, each car had one word, we, and it was really hard to get the one word. But each car had a one-word equity. And then we said, everything we do, every advertisement, every brochure, every print ad, does it support the one-word equity? And, and it was amazing, Kevin, uh, you know, how focused we, we began to get. And, and this was the period of time when we didn't have a lot of new product, I should say. We really didn't introduce um, uh, a great number of new vehicles during this period of time that we, you know, really changed the brand and sustained leadership. So... So we were doing all this concurrently. So we were working with the, the dealership culture, the culture of our own organization, uh, the customer experience, product planning, and sales and marketing. So I find it very interesting that you say that in terms of where you started and what you thought was the most important thing was improving the working conditions of your associates. So that was really one of the core things that you did during your time that would in turn change the way that customers viewed the brand as well. Yes. That's... It seems it doesn't seem as though they they would be necessarily related, but it's it's yeah, a very, it's very interesting granular, insight. Kevin. Yeah, it, it, it's all part of the whole. And and the reality is, in order to you know, as you realize, these dealers these dealers are very very successful, totally independent entrepreneurs, very very skeptical uh, about you know quote unquote factory programs. And so, in order to do this kind of work, you had to develop a level of trust and faith on the part of the dealer that we wouldn't use this information to come back and say, you know, to use it against them, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're independent business people and where they're, they've, there's all kinds of report cards and scorecards and awards. And it, it took a lot of work, a lot of explanation, a lot of meetings, a lot of uh, regional meetings. And we did some really, really exciting uh innovative seminars and where we got the dealers to a you know buy into that this was something that they could do and we could measure it and and what i didn't mention what was really cool is you didn't have to shoot the manager what we found out is you got a high you know you're the most terrific salesperson and the most terrific fni manager he gets promoted and now he's got people working for him well you know he he may be an effective leader or he may not be but what was universal is that they all thought they were great leaders until they got feedback, <laughs> right? Because, you know, when you get to higher levels, you don't get a lot of feedback. So, But what was great is is that you could come back in six months and you didn't have to take the manager behind the barn and shoot him because the goal was, you know, we want to help you as a manager be more effective. We're going to come back and we're going to measure it. And it was all kinds of training concurrently, by the way, and the University of Toyota, you know, we had training in... And, and, and all these issues um, going on. And so we got manager, we got the part manager buy-in as well that this could help them be more successful and, and, and you know, both professionally and income-wise. 
And so we went to that granular level, and it was a, it was an amazing, amazing story. And I was blessed. I had a terrific team of, of leaders and you know guys that are still leading the company today, and they were all part of this process. Kevin, I was blown away uh, by the amount of people that really put us in their own mind the same category as Apple, that it was a product and an experience that they, the world was a better place because we were there. And, and the level of customer engagement, I would go to these uh, new product launch events at, at dealerships and, you know, 7 o'clock at night, there'd be, you know, 300 very, very affluent people uh, there uh, with nothing better to do to go to a Lexus dealership for some cocktails. <laughs> I mean, they were there. They were there because they, they, they love the car and they love the dealership experience. The, the way that everything is now, you don't realize that at a time, uh, a dealership wouldn't want to have these surveys going out, wouldn't want that kind of feedback. And because it's such a, a major part of Lexus, I know the idea that scoring, you know, 10 out of 10 is expected. So in 2005, I'll kind of bring it back to product. Uh, you helped to launch the the very first uh, luxury hybrid vehicle, the RX 400H. What was the development process like, and, and did you know at that time how important hybrid technology was going to be to Lexus? Yes, we we had um, uh, you know I was very much involved. I was an officer at Toyota Motor Company, uh, very much involved in hybrid engine development and, and you know driving those cars and. The engineers telling us that their image was that we would see this technology not only in every one of our cars but in every car in the industry. And they, you know, they had patents and they were. And the word hybrid is a word that came out of a meeting I was actually in. Mm. I mean, that, that was a Toyota term uh, that came out of the you know Prius being the first vehicle. So we knew that it was important, <clears throat> and we knew that our customers, even though um, they were uh, affluent customers, cared deeply about the environment. And so we positioned the vehicle as being everything that you expect from Lexus, but being environmentally conscious and being advanced technology. And really, uh, at the time, for our customers, uh, this technology uh, was revolutionary. And it was almost, you know, for some of our customers, we were hearing the, some of the same comments that you hear today about Tesla. Mm -hmm. It was that different and that exciting for them to have a car that had that kind of that kind of mileage and. And, that, and so the, the technology, they love the technology, and, you know, these are people that, you know, are, are early adapters. And so we, we knew we had success, and the issue was, is, you know, how do you price the vehicle, and how do you merchandise it? And it started slow, but as we began to do our marketing and began to get customers in our cars and the word of mouth, uh, they just love the car. Uh, you know, RX is a the most loyal owners um, that I've ever met. I have so many friends that are on their fourth or fifth, sixth Lexus RX. And it's interesting with uh, hybrid technology, the way that it's, you know, really taken a leadership role in Europe. And, and I have to tell you, you know, I can remember, um, for example, Bob Lutz of General Motors saying it's a gimmick. <laughs> and the European, even the European, you know, Toyota folks, uh, saying, you know, this won't work in Europe, it, you know, it doesn't work. And, and, and so there was much skepticism at the beginning. I would tell you that it wasn't a slam dunk uh, by any means. It was, uh, you know, Toyota had developed the technology, and there were many, many naysayers. I think similar to what Toyota sees now with their hybrid uh with their hydrogen technology. It was a learning process. Uh, many, many people did great work. The Prius was phenomenally successful. Uh, RX built off of that, and, and then we began to think about expanding it and, and throughout our lineup, as Toyota did. 
I wanted to come back uh, and and talk about you know something that's of great interest to enthusiasts, and that and that's the LFA, and and I'm curious to know uh, you know what kind what level of involvement you had in that, uh, what the original plan might have been, uh, if you could uh, just share a little bit about that. So the LFA uh, idea happened uh, early during my tenure at Lexus, and the idea was to build a supercar with all the super supercar headaches. So, you know, people that own these Ferraris and Lamborghinis, uh, they actually kept parts in their garage. I mean, the cars just, you know, they were great, great cars, but you needed to have your own mechanic or you needed, and you, you know, you couldn't get parts. And, and so the idea was, well, what if we built one of these cars that really advanced our technology or, you know, our knowledge, uh, at the time, Toyota was getting in the Formula One business in Europe very, very costly, and, and they learned a lot, uh, never really uh, had the success that they had hoped for, <clears throat> but they learned an awful lot. And so the idea was, can we build a supercar without all the headaches? And so I can remember going over to our test tracks, and I want to say it was in you know 2004, <clears throat> and being in a car where the dashboard was nothing but a maze of wires <laughs> and kind of sitting sitting on a steel seat the, the 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 driver you know hitting that the accelerator and just absolutely pressing me back against my seat and my skin felt like I was in a rocket ship and uh, <clears throat> and so you know they were working on a car and then we began to you know see the design language which really you know was the epitome at that time of Elfiness right uh, the car was a long time coming. It really was never about volume. It was really about a learning exercise uh, because Toyota realized that, you know, they built great cars, you know, but they needed to get more emotional, and everybody uh, wanted to become more BMW-like, if you were. I mean, BMW at the time, the 5 Series was a you know phenomenal car to drive. It was fun to drive, and this was part of that whole learning effort. And so, you know, they sold, I don't know, you know, 500 cars, whatever the number was. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it was really more about the learning experience. And I have to tell you, I mean, I have a, a friend here in New Mexico that owns one. And even now, when we take it out on the road, uh, you know, people are giving us thumbs up and, and, you know, looking at us. And, you know, the one story that I could tell people is we were, my friend was driving the car and we were, you know, up to 180 on Interstate 40 and in and out of traffic. And I'm, I'm scared to death. And. And we're you know rocking along at 170, 160, and we see a trooper. We see a trooper ahead, and we slow down. The, the speed limit was 70, and a, the trooper looks at us and points at the car, gives a thumb up, and then he takes his finger and he points forward, telling us to hit it. So we we literally did you know 170 right in front of the state trooper, and he's giving us the thumbs up, and it was crazy. You could have been a TV commercial. Oh yeah, that's. But uh... I mean, the car is an amazing car. Um, Occasionally, you know, Toyota, I mean, it was whimsical in a way, and I remember they developed a, a driver for golf. Our Toyota, mm -hmm. Toyota engineers had a Toyota driver that, you know, we all had that was great, far in advance of, you know, Nike and Titleist and all, all those, Callaway and everybody. So, I mean, they, they do this to learn things, Kevin. I right. mean, it's more a long-term, what can we learn? And it was part of the Formula One program and so on and so on, but it was... Um, a long, it was a long process, and uh, it was really fun to see the car develop and then great to drive it. To think that it was always about being a, a learning experience, that it was never, there was never in the beginning the idea that it was going to be a, like a mass market car. 
I think that that's really special. And I think that it, it really shows the long-term thinking that, that went into what we see now with Lexus. And I'm interested about what you think now about the current direction of Lexus. And, you know, do you still follow the brand closely? Do you, oh, oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. Still, I'm still in the business. Okay. So oh. uh, <clears throat> I, I do follow the brand very, very closely. You know, the, the new styling um, is, is polarizing mm-hmm. uh, for some people, uh, but I think the, they've decided that the brand needed to become more emotional, and they, they've taken some, you know, des, design risks. And I can remember when Audi first did it, uh, the, you know, everybody was, you know, very, very uh, controversial front-end styling, and as you begin to see more and more of them, they began to look better and better. And I think that's that's true of the, the Lexus, um, you know, the, the new design the cars are really, really fun to drive. Uh, the performance is amazing, and you know, and 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 the, you know, and the dealers still provide this amazing experience. So, our, the customer loyalty is still the highest in the industry. I think the resale is among the leaders in the industry, and you know, product reliability, consumer reports, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the brand is still the brand. It's still about the experience of owning a car, not having to go back or. When you do go back, uh, we just blow you away with uh, <clears throat> waiting lounges that are better than your living room or <laughs> loaner cars and, you know, and all the amenities or we pick your car up at your, at your house during the night and bring it back in the morning or, you know, the free car washes, all the things that started at the beginning, you know, still are, are true today, maybe even more so. And so I applaud the new language. I think they want to make the cars younger. They want to make it more fun to drive, but they still want to have the, the essence of the luxury experience that, that our owners love so much. I was curious about what you were doing since you, um, since you retired from Toyota and Lexus uh, and, and what you've been doing since then. So initially I did some consulting and I did some speaking. Then I joined the board of Asbury Automotive and so Asbury Automotive is a publicly traded consolidator dealerships. We have probably 95 dealerships uh, across the country, all brands, Kevin. Okay. Um, and uh, mainly in the southeast, but we go to Richmond and we go to St. Louis, uh, but mainly Texas, Florida, and the south. A phenomenally successful company, a stock, a stock symbol is AVG. And it's really, and I've been on the board now for, you know, almost 10 years. It's been a really, really fun experience to be on the retail side of the business. Uh, we have every single brand. We're big BMW and Mercedes retailers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of Honda stores. So I've learned a lot about the retail business and a lot about other franchises. I'm very much involved in the, you know, the business. I'm chair of several committees. Um, you know, on a monthly basis, I'm, I'm involved. Uh, and so it's been a, a real joy for me to have that honor of being on a board, you know, that there's not a lot of uh, ex-automotive executives that are on the board of these big publicly traded retailer, automotive retailers. And I feel very honored that uh, they, uh, they felt that I could add value to their business. Well, it sounds like you would be able to apply a lot of the things that you learned during your time to, to, to your position now. Well, it's yeah, but it's you know it's changed a lot, Kevin. With social media, hmm. I think the, the the whole brand premise of Lexus is even more important than ever. You know, I, I like to say now there's no inside baseball. That hmm. you know how you treat the customer is no longer a secret, and you better you know you better be you better be good. Being good is just kind of you know treading water. 
you, you need to really take the the whole customer experience level to the Lexus level, even if you're a Toyota or Honda dealer. So my final question to you, I just want to say that the the 2004 update to the uh, the LS430 uh, is probably my favorite all-time Lexus, <laughs> like overall. And I was curious what your favorite uh, vehicle was that was produced during your time at Lexus. Well, I have to say, you know, I have to say it was probably the, um, I mean, I've always loved the GS. Mm. I mean, I've always thought the GS just a great car. But in terms of technology and stuff, I mean, you can't take it away from the RX-H. Mm. You know, the RX. I mean, that, that's just an amazing, at the time, you know, today it, it, it doesn't seem like a big deal. At the time, it was amazing technology. There was so much uh, technology in that car. And then, you know, we had a lot of fun with the SC. Uh, we did an advertising campaign that was all in French. <laughs> um, I mean, those spots were really, you know, they were really fun to do. And I have to tell you a story about it. If you just bear with me a minute. Of I think course, it yeah. There's a little bit about, you know, the whole experience of running one of these big companies. I, you know, in the field, and you're, you know, out, you're running these, you know, regional offices and you're interacting and, you know, the advertising comes in and, <clears throat> you know, sometimes you don't agree with the advertising. You might say, you know, who in the world approved this advertising? And I can remember my first uh, marketing meeting at, at Lexus, and they're showing me a storyboard concept, and they want approval to do an ad, and they're all done, and, you know, everybody's kind of looking at me, and all of a sudden I realize, you know, God, I'm the idiot that's got to approve this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a real, you know, a real humbling experience that all of a sudden I'm the guy that, you know, you know, has to sign off on this thing. And, but, you know, it's, I mean, so the, every car, I think every new car was really, really fun. I mean, the LS, the original LS 400 was a fabulous vehicle. You know, they, they, when we did the new ES, I, I can't remember the year, it was, mm. you know, 2003 or 2004. Right. I mean, that was a beautiful car, I thought. So, I mean, every one of those cars, you know, was evolved the brand, took the brand forward, uh, began to develop the uh, L S language, was fun to drive. Uh, much was much better than the than the car it replaced. So from a, I think from a pure driving joy, the GS was was a, a, my favorite car. From my just a, a technological wonder, uh, I always you know I always you know looked at the RXH. I can remember I'll tell you a story. Another vignette. Uh, we were at the Toyota Auto Show, and so what happens is you know you're doing long ways, and I think I was I had just finished introducing the uh, GX, the new GX, and right. And we were walking, you know, half an hour, and then the journalists got to go to the next conference. And, you know, I was with a couple of journalists, and we were walking over the BMW conference. And the journalist said to me, see, you know, it's really interesting, the three cultures. He said, you know, Americans will ask us what we like about their cars. The Japanese will ask us what we don't like about their cars. And the Germans will tell us what we like about their cars. (laughs) (laughs) I never forgot that. I thought that encapsulates exactly you know the three cultures i mean the japanese were always wondering you know well, what we can do to do better mm-hmm. they always wanted to know what you didn't like it's funny that's my been in my experience as well is uh is always what don't i like as opposed to what i do like so yeah i uh, mean and, you know i can remember all-wheel drive uh you know that we you know we push for all-wheel drive i mean that came to me you know from a journalist i mean my first lonely press conference was the ls and it was up in northern wisconsin and I can remember saying to a journalist, you know, what, what does Lexus need to do? And he, he told me two things. He said, one, all your cars look different. You need to develop a design language. And he said, you guys need to be thinking about all-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. Well, at the time, nobody, no luxury car had all-wheel drive. Those two, you know, and we began to push. And today, all-wheel drive is a really big deal. 
Absolutely. particularly in the Northeast, and, and, and you got to have it. Well, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for agreeing to this interview, and uh, I really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, Kevin, I'm honored. It's really been fun, and it brings back a lot of memories talking about it. Thanks so much for asking. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care.